you can always train on the engineering capabilities. But if you also have this open-minded willingness to learn, willingness to share, celebrating this open mindset, I think you're building something very, very strong. This is Contributor, a podcast telling the stories behind the best open source projects and the communities that make them. I'm Eric Anderson. Today, we get to talk about Unleash, an open source feature flagging project that is quite popular. Um, it's had a, a really good run the last couple of years among community development and adoption. I'm joined today by Agil and Ivor, who are creators of the project. Maybe you two can introduce yourselves so that we know your voices. Absolutely. So my name is Egil Ostus. I'm the CEO of this company behind Unleash. Yeah, and I'm Ivar Östus. I'm the little brother of Egil. I'm the CTO, the technical head of this company. Fantastic. We got the whole family here in the house. No, probably not the whole family, but the, the important part of the family for this discussion. <laughs> Tell us quickly what Unleash is, and then, of course, we'll go into the history. Sure. So Unleash is an open source feature management platform. We are delivering feature toggles or feature flagging to basically any programming language that you can think of. It is open source, built on top of an open core business model. Yeah, it's a great, uh, great tool. And others may be familiar with feature flagging tools. And there's, there's kind of a spectrum, it seems like, on some that are a bit more marketing oriented, help marketers kind of experiment and measure the results of experiments. And some maybe for more for engineers to make safe deployments. Where do you feel like Unleash fits in the spectrum? Yeah, good question there. So Unleash is very much focused on the developer. We are very focused on the developer experience. Uh, we definitely recognize the importance and the need of experimentation and A-B testing and such. Where we are very strong is, uh, is on our capability to work on top of uh, DevOps and infrastructure components. Very flexible when it comes to also application context and exactly where the application runs and, and allow you to do a lot of segmentation capabilities on top of those. Would you agree, Igor? Absolutely. And um, um, I think it's uh, important to also remember the backstory of Unleash. And, and, and we are coming from a very kind of developer engineering type of uh, culture. So, Igor, maybe take us back then to the beginning. I believe it may have started with you. How did Unleash come about? What were you doing maybe that led up to starting the project? Yeah, you know, I care deeply about developer efficiency. And for me, I was working in a team uh, in a very kind of forward-leaning company. I was the tech lead of that team. And we had basically in this company, we had automated all the code deployments to all our environments. We, we could ship in theory code to production every day, but we didn't. We had our weekly sprints, but even for a week, we could not always release code to production. And this bugs me a lot because we ended up having incomplete features hanging around in long-running feature branches because they were not ready to kind of enable for all the users yet. So we had to do more testing. We had to write more, solve more of the edge cases, all of that, before we could ship that code out to production. And for me, this was kind of bugging me a lot because it added a lot of complexity to our workflow. We had to manage all these feature branches it could be very hard to actually merge them back to the main branch. Um, we are also postponing all the learning opportunities. 
So I started kind of evaluating how could we solve this better? There has to be a better way to solve this scenario. And for me, I very soon discovered that like there was people talking about feature toggles. And I felt that this was a very compelling solution to this problem. And I started to investigate that a bit more. And you have to remember, this was back in 2014. There wasn't kind of a ton of solution to select for. There wasn't any closed source vendor at the time that provided this as a service. So I could either kind of uh, do what most people did back then was kind of a static config file in my application. That helped me a lot. I actually started with that. But I still wanted something that was a bit more dynamic that allowed me to kind of change the configuration runtime so that I could kind of have more control on who got access to a new feature. I could enable it for myself and nobody else, for instance, in production. And and this was a key win for me. And, and this was also why I wanted to create something like Unleash because I I really wanted something that could work across all our microservices. It could centralize kind of the need I had to take more control on how we release software. And I just felt like this was an obvious choice to open source it from day one. Ivor, you're, you're kind of uh, the original, I mean, you said there was other people doing feature flagging and feature toggles then, but it was still quite new. I mean, this was something that maybe was popular in Google and Twitter, but hadn't really made its way into most of the world. It feels like you were kind of ahead of your, ahead of your time. Yeah, I feel like that every day. And I, I still feel like we were early. It's like, even today, people are discovering this technique and and it kind of amazes me, but uh, still uh, the market is growing. And, and I think that, a lot of people see the value of doing more trunk-based development, that it removes a lot of complexity. And and I'm so happy to be in this space at this moment in time that this is actually the perfect time to be in this space because there are so many talented developers out there and there is so much pressure to work even more efficient with software and, and deliver quality and be able to verify your your things in production. Um, and also, there is so many reasons to do that. You have the privacy concerns. So today, it's not that easy to just dump all your production data into a test environment anymore. And having the ability to actually test in production without exposing it to everyone, it just makes so much sense. So you want to release an open source, and, and so you publish on GitHub one day. How do you find kind of the first users or who kind of stumbles into it? Yeah, that's a funny story. So uh, I think it was officially open source like the 1st of January 2015. Um, Nobody was using it except my team. It was like, it was out there and no traction at all. It was like, it was a repository in GitHub. That's it. But I still felt like this was a fun project. It was a fun project to to keep. And, And also some of my motivation of open sourcing it was to allow myself to use some of my spare time on, on building this product. So I wasn't going to be tied to the company I was working for at the time. And I kind of kept it as a side project. I used it obviously in my day job and, and my company was very encouraging towards this. I felt like it was cool that we were open sourcing it and all of that. But what I kind of experienced was that it was very easy to adopt for the other teams in this company. There was uh, more than 20 other teams that saw that we were using it. We used it on our sprint demos where we showcased that now we are actually releasing it to 2% of our users on stage. And kind of the defect to get from that is that everyone wants to work like that. Everyone wants to take that level of control to the, the software they are delivering. 
and, and kind of just spread organically within the company. It was never a push. Nobody was ever forced to use the tool, but they wanted to, and they started using it. And the next thing I saw uh, was that when developers left this company, one of the first things they did that the new company that joined was to adopt this tool and introduce this tool into a new company. And this was kind of the beginning, I guess, on, on the growth you can find for, for the adoption of Unleash is that it was basically a word of mouth, people that have already experienced it or heard someone use it, and, and they wanted to try it out, and they saw the value of it. Yeah, no, it's the power of those demos, I'm sure, at work where people can, hey, they've unlocked their feature velocity. Like they can ship because they can hide it behind toggles or flags. That's great. And now at some point you leave the company. Was that in conjunction to wanting to go full-time on the project or were there other things? Yeah, so this is kind of fast forwarding a bit, I guess. So it was like late 2018. It has started again a lot of momentum. A lot of companies around the world were already using the open source. And, and there was coming a quite a lot of inbound requests uh, towards uh, issue requests and, and other type of more enterprise features and all of that. And I literally also got emails from companies asking me to host this for them. Can you just host it and we will pay you? It was literally that. And this was about the time uh, I brought Egel to the table. So so me and Egel, we are brothers. And sometimes we go out and we have beer and, and food. Um, and I started kind of talking to Egil about this project and, and explaining to him, like, yeah, I had this open source uh, getting a lot of traction. There seems to be a lot of people using it all over. Maybe there is an opportunity here. I'm not sure, but it feels like there could be a potential to actually build something around this. I, I remember this uh, dinner. Was, um, it was a fantastic evening. It was actually in the middle of, I think, January something, and, and we were having some burgers and, and, and beer. And at the time, I was a product development director at a great company called Visma. It's an M&A company, a shop. Uh, it acquires a lot of mature software. And as you say there, Eric, Ivar uh, is very much on the front end of uh, development and, and engineering culture. It's fair to say that a lot of the software products I was responsible for was maybe less so mature when it came to engineering kind of capabilities. But the interesting fact is then when he was started to explain the capabilities, the kind of use cases and the possibilities, I perfectly saw that this is solving a lot of my needs as well. So although it sort of fits very well into this kind of DevOps, CDCI kind of pipeline way of, of working, also kind of monolithic application is like a payroll and accounting kind of maybe not super interesting, but very something you need to get right. You don't want to get those numbers wrong. It allows you for opening up a new way of thinking around how you can run this this organization. So for me, it was obvious that there is a ton of value here. Honestly speaking, I also need to admit, open source was sort of this interesting twist on everything, but I didn't really have all of the details set out. So for us, it was kind of a great start of a very interesting journey to explore this opportunity together. Obviously, you are coming from the very technical. I'm bringing in this kind of how do we look at this from a product market fit. So what we ended up doing, and I think actually this was a great decision, was to decide we wanted to do this as a side gig. So it forced us to actually be very focused on where do we pay our attention and where do we spend the time. And literally every moment we, we spent was to understand how does the competitive landscape look like and where 
where do we fit into this picture? And we were very clear and, 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 and honest with, we are not starting to build kind of this feature game, running, catching up game with uh, the, uh, the other vendors. Let's try and understand what we what is the value of what we have already and also where does it fit into the picture. So I think that was the first year or so, just working crazy hours, uh, late night and weekends in understanding the customer and, and how it fits into the market as good as possible. Great. I'm imagining this dinner with you uh, and now your lives are changed. <laughs> you can't sleep that night. Ivor, you, you you basically became a community manager here at some point, it sounds like. I can see from the GitHub history that you're still doing a lot of contributing, maybe more than ever. But at some point, who's engaging with the community and what does that, is that a new kind of work for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there is many ways of looking at how we have been working with the community. And, and in the beginning, it was more like some people were coming in and, and usually whereas or over the time where there have been the most contribution is on the SDK side. So in order to use Unleash, you will have an SDK that you put into your application that would do a lot of the heavy lifting. So actually it will be the SDK that would evaluate the rules. So we would not need to reach out to the API to, to check where our toggle should be on or off. And I would do all the synchronization in the background with the Unleash API. This allows us to be both resilient and super fast and, and, and all of that. But that also means that there is some complexity in actually building the SDKs for the various programming languages. This is where the first kind of major contributions were coming in. So there was uh, one person coming in and, and building the Go SDK, for instance. And I didn't know this person from before. Uh, it turned out that he actually for some time worked for a sister company of mine, but I didn't know that at the time and I didn't know him personally. And they were obviously also using Unleash. And I saw that it seems to be easier to contribute to those kind of more concrete SDKs, which would be kind of a limited problem area. It would be kind of isolated. Um, and it also had some kind of API surface or some contracts that you should implement. And I also improved on this over time. So I, we, we created kind of a specification for the SDKs so that it would be easy to validate that they were implementing the protocol correctly and all of that. And there were just more and more contributors coming, providing different SDKs for different programming languages. And for me, I was, I, I always been like, I, I always look at the human side of things. So when there was a country or someone building an SDK, instead of just gladly adopting everything as an official SDK for, for Unleash, I would actually engage a lot with the maintainer of that SDK. I would look at how this person reacted to, to issue requests, the bug requests or feature requests. And if this person was like a very welcoming and, and like open to suggestion or naturally curious on learning more, I always thought that that is a good sign. And for me, that is even more important than the quality of the code itself, because you can always fix the quality of the code if you're willing to learn. But if you're an asshole, uh, sorry, my French, uh, it's really hard to fix that. Um, at least doing this back then as a side thing. I didn't want to spend any time working with uh, people that couldn't behave themselves. And, and I actually saw that and I stared away and I always chose kind of the, the, the SDK that, that were ha having a really welcoming maintainer. Yeah, and I think I also need to, to add to that because looking at who Ivar is uh, in the community and also in, in our company now, and I, I truly believe it also comes with myself, it's very kind of focused on values, very focused on kind of 
who are the people and always striving for this better for the community, better for everybody. And, and I dare to say that this also ties, I think it's fair to say that the community members and the employees of the company is sort of the same culture and value is sort of applicable to both parts. And we look at this as an extension of our company. It's, it's part of the big family. And, you know, it's if you are... I mean, as Eva says, you can you can always improve of quality. You can always train more kind of on the engineering capabilities. But if you also have this open-minded willingness to learn, willingness to share, always kind of celebrating this open mindset, I think you're building something very, very strong. And I perfectly feel this is who we are, both as a company as as a community. It's fantastic. Switching gears a bit to some of the things that the product does, you mentioned some keywords before that I'll just repeat here and we can talk about them. You mentioned trait-based and, and testing in production, privacy concerns. Maybe help us walk through, unpack some of the, the value that you've described earlier. Yeah, I can try to start with the privacy concern. And, and maybe because we are a European company, I don't know, but privacy is a huge thing. And I think it will be more and more important in the future. And for me, it's always important that if you're collecting some data, you should have a reason to collect that data. Uh, it should be just because you can. And this also comes back to only So, so I've been very careful that uh, we shouldn't collect user data that is not useful. And also I've taken that a bit further. So, so today only will not collect any personal identifiable user data and and it goes down to how the whole architecture of unleash and it means that we have built artifacts to make sure that we still can solve a lot of this important use cases so so for instance we have built something we call the unleash proxy the unleash proxy would be something that sits between the unleash api and single page application and native application because then we don't need to see the end user they will not connect directly to our offering that would be something that the companies can host themselves and, and connect directly to, to the end user. And I feel like this is super important because you will use a tool like Unleash to configure your software. You will use it to configure how you are releasing your software. But we are not building yet another analytics tool. That would be a different tool you're using for that. And that's why we're also looking into how we can make it easier to pipe that data to, to the appropriate analytics tool or your data lake, internal data lake, or maybe you have some machine learning team that needs the data to kind of learn which version of a new feature that actually performs the better. But we don't pipe the, all of that data back to Unleash API just because we can. Yep, great. And then the, um, the testing in production. So because I have feature toggles, I can feel more comfortable pushing a feature out to production, knowing I can pull it back or I, or I can roll out even a single feature to just a portion of the population. Yeah, maybe maybe I can start with an example where we are we are shipping a new feature, a very fundamental change in our architecture. And, and, and obviously we are using Unleash to develop Unleash. So it was a very crazy story. We did the launch. By the way, it was on a Friday. We launched software on Friday. And we did this kind of behind the scenes. So, so the customer was getting this new code in production. They didn't really care about it or, or, or were made aware of that. And I remember Eva coming back and saying, oh, I did some, I think it was a lock challenge you had on the database that was pretty, pretty bad, actually. Yeah, a deadlock scenario. So, so basically by launching this uh, very kind of silently into production, having customers running 
larger part of that new code without even being aware of that, we were able to identify these kind of, I would guess it's a sort of a corner case scenario when you look at a test plan, but uh, it was important to find it because it was creating big uh, challenges for the customers. So this allowed the team to sort of fix that problem, update, roll it out again, and and now it fixed that we are starting to kind of onboard pilot customers to to start using a new feature. So I would actually like to extend on that exact example because we we actually did launch the new feature in parallel. So it was actually not causing any problem for the customer at all. And we were able to detect uh, detect the deadlock scenario and disable the, the, the feature that they didn't see yet uh, and roll it back. But uh, it wasn't kind of impacting customer at all. And that's also something to be aware of that you... And we knew that this callback could or... We knew that we were doing crazy stuff with our database query here. Um, and we were a bit kind of curious how this would scale. So that's also the reason why we kind of thought that this was a super important that we did it carefully, did test it with real data before we shipped it uh, or enable it for everyone, basically. Yeah, so, so this also adds to this where we are seeing ourselves because we are very much focused now on the feature management or feature toggling kind of capabilities. But when you really start thinking about it, this is uh, everything we talk about is developer efficiency. And this is also when when you mentioned this trunk-based development. So trunk-based development is one of those other kind of buzzwords that is in the developer community or in kind of make it quicker. You don't want to have that merge conflict and, and, and all of that uh, difficulties that you have to, to get uh, long-lived feature branches laying around there. But actually what a feature toggle does is to move that complexity into production. So it's also on our mind that uh, even though it's a super great improvement compared to the feature branches and moving towards trunk-based development, it's sort of not like the silver bullet fixing all problems. We are creating new kind of problems, to, to be frank. And, and, and this is also important for us how we think about Unleash. Because of that, we are very focused to make sure that the teams has the overview of where is the feature toggles, what is the lifetime, should I start to really clean up stuff as well? Because this is actually technical depth when you think about it, to have these feature toggles laying around the production and you know, it's super easy to to forget about it. Just uh, lay it there. It's it's sort of it done at work, and 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 a trick is done, and and you sort of move on to the next feature. And and I think we can all relate to to this is a behavior that often comes into an engineering organization. So for us in Unleash, we are very focused on having like reporting capabilities in a tool to make sure that the team is at least aware and can make a cautious decision of cleaning up. And what we see is also often engineering teams, at least my personal experience, need some support to highlight this also to upper management or to business or whatever you want to call it, to sort of drive in conversation on, we actually need to do something that doesn't really impact the feature for the customer immediately. But by cleaning up, we can make sure we are having this capability to stay very fast and and have a short time to market on what we deliver. You're helping me understand that I think this ability to feature flagging or toggling is kind of fundamental to be able to do true DevOps and, and continuous deployment. I, I think I hadn't connected the two. When I was at Google, we would put things in features. We also, as you would imagine, didn't have a QA team and developers own their own code. But it's hard to imagine owning your own code and not having a QA team if you really can't control a feature after it's put out there. If everything is just kind of put together, you start to see why you have to have a QA team and why it's hard for a single engineer to manage a release. 
so so I think I think you you've kind of helped me realize how interconnected and how how vital feature flagging is to a true DevOps motion. For sure. Great. Take us to the future of Unleash. We kind of skipped a little bit of the end story, kind of how the company formed and how it's grown recently, but what are you working on today? What do people have to look forward to? Yeah, so it's actually a good question. And, and, and this week, actually, we have dedicated a whole week with the team to look into the future. So we're actually doing a full week of hacking uh, just to explore the opportunities. And one of the opportunities that we really see and that we want to double down on is is how to to share data impression data from a leash to any tool uh, in the market and when i say impression data i mean like uh, when you're using a tool like unleash uh, unleash will help you kind of control the rollout will allow you to define your segments who should have access to this new feature the unleash sdk will know exactly who was exposed to this feature and in which point in time and we can actually create a, a, a reliable uh, authoritative stream of this information and make that available to you so you can integrate that to any tool you're using. It could be you want to push it on Kafka or it could be that you want to push it into your own Snowflake instance or any tool that you are using to kind of analyze how users behave in your solution or in your platform. And this is something... We also doing this in by also addressing the privacy concern of this. So we just don't want to just start collecting all of this data and, and take care of it for you without you having control on where the data ends up. We strongly believe that this is something the customer should decide how and where this should be stored and how this is piped to the next service. We don't have all the solutions yet, but we strongly believe that this this is a fundamental need when you're working in this way. When you have a lot of features, you're experimenting a lot with new features, you also need to tie that together with not only your business uh, KPIs, but also your performance KPIs. So you may, may have a data dog, you may have APM tools, other tools, and, and it could be that the feature is negatively impacting your memory consumption or CPU consumption, or you might increase your failure rates for the service. And all of these are different tools probably you're using to analyze all of this. And it will be very beneficial to connect all of this together with the feature toggle information and who was exposed to which feature at that point in time. And obviously building on top of that. So, so that's the first part, start kind of sharing this data. But you also want to think about taking the next step there. And how can we pipe the, the results of this information back to Anish and, and not like per user, but uh, we want to move towards kind of service level indicators like what are the important safety metrics that you care about for this feature and have that defined and, and use that to control your rollout. And then you can start thinking about much more automation on top of this data. So instead of a person saying, I want to do 5%, 10%, 100%, what if you could just define this is the business KPI I care about. These are the performance KPIs I care about. It should never be slower than, I don't know, 100 milliseconds or something like that. And as long as all these KPIs or indicators are within their threshold, I just want to roll it out as soon and as safe as possible and just to have the tool do it for you. Yeah, so basically uh, how we see the market today is uh, it's very kind of a uh, configuration of a feature. It's a very manual and tedious process to say, this is the rules, this is some of the segments I want to create, and and this is how I want to enable my feature. 
And by the way, it's also important to emphasize we look at any kind of change to code as a feature. So if it's a backend kind of below the, the surface there, it's very much still an, an feature enablement that is important because anything you do, you are impacting the behavior and, and the experience of the platform and probably you put in front of your customers. So so what we are saying, we are taking the feature configuration as it is today, and we're turning that into purpose-driven feature management. Exactly as Eva says, you should look at what are you trying to achieve. And this is your concern rather than thinking around, do I use that activation strategy or that kind of cohort or, or this kind of way of, of looking at the world. So I think it's going to be a lot of innovation in this space as we move forward. Fantastic. Eeyore, Egil, thank you so much for coming today. Uh, I think we covered quite a bit of the Unleashed story, uh, but it sounds like it's just beginning. I, I, I took a glance at um, the one of the few kind of objective measures I can, and the GitHub stars are just accelerating. I mean, I think you'll double in this year, what you started with, it looks like. Yeah, and that's also quite amazing that building a company around the open source project actually accelerates the adoption of the open source. It kind of built an additional layer of trust that this will be maintained. This is actually something you can trust over time. Makes sense. Thanks for coming. Cool. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Find today's show notes and past episodes at contributor.fyi. Until next time, I'm Eric Anderson, and this has been Contributor. <laughs>